let's open in, uh, actually, this is, before we get started, this is uh, lesson one of part two of Matthew, which is chapter 11 of uh, um, Matthew, and this is the 24th, 24th of November. 2007. Let's open in prayer. Our Father, our King, we thank you that you have uh, given us your word, that you have uh, promised us that you will fulfill it. Father, we thank you that you've given it to us as evidence of uh, your past dealings with man. And Father, we thank you that you give it to us also as a future hope for ourselves. We ask that you might open it for us this morning and that we might learn how it is that we can walk in the ancient past. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Um, I promise you don't have to sing the second one if you can sing the first one with me. Uh, there's two songs here. Uh, the first one is Eliyahu, and the second one is Anima uh, um, Uh But we won't do it that way. Uh, let's just do the Hebrew version of Eliyahu. Anybody who knows it? Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Hatishvi, Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Eliyahu Hagilati, Ben Herave Amenu, Yavo Amenu, Imashi Akbendavi. Imashiach ben David, Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Hachishvi, Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Eliyahu Hagiladi. Okay, honestly now, who, who sings that every week? I do. Well, not every week. Uh, this is a traditional, actually, after Passover as well. This is traditional song sung at the end of Pass at the end of Shabbat. Pardon me. Oh, okay. This is uh, this is the song that we sing at the at Haftalah, which uh, who knows early early believers may very may very well have sung this very song as part of their worship service every week uh, because it's done at Haftalah at the end of Shabbat. It's also done at the end of Passover, uh, and we certainly remember him a lot of times. Why? Eliyahu, Elijah, the prophet, Elijah the Tishbite, Elijah, Elijah the Gileadite, speedily may he come to us with Messiah, son of David. Um, and here's from uh, the Igdal, uh, which is a song uh, often sung in, in, in synagogues on Shabbat. This is from the Twelve Principles uh, by Rambam or Maimonides. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of Messiah, and though he tarry, I will daily, I will wait daily for his coming. Um, why are we looking like this? Chapter 11 of, of uh, Chapter 11 of, of Matthew actually gives us some wonderful insights into this hope that uh, all Judaism shares. Uh, well, last week we just in a, as an intro we looked at we talked about the historical Yeshua and the idea that knowing the history. As many people do, they treat the Gospels as if they are history. Ask anyone in seminary, give me the historical books in the New Testament, as they call it, and they will tell you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. Those are historical books. Uh, and if you're a Presbyterian, you say Revelation as well. Um, uh, so, so, uh, so there's, there's history books, right? And if you get that idea, as we have not, have we? We've not looked at that at all. We haven't even considered the history of Matthew, have we? What we've considered is there's a historical Yeshua, and there's a historical setting. 
but the message is not history. It is not information about him. There's information about how it is that we can live like him as his disciples. Why? Because it is our calling to be disciples to live like him. To live like him, we must study his words. We must imitate him. We must do what he did. Right? To be his disciples. To be... And then, when we're... When he's gone, we're supposed to make disciples for him. That's the job of a disciple. And we're all called to be disciples. So, we want to look at it a relational way. And that's what we've been doing. Uh, unfortunately, we are sitting in a setting where we talk about information. I mean, really, that's all we're talking about, just information. Uh, you can't see the way I live when I'm sitting here. I can't see the way you live. Other than whether we're polite or not, I would hope everybody's civil. Uh, what we see is when we leave. So, application is the, is the real rubber beats the road. You know, is it more than just information? Uh, encouragement to us is it should not be. Chapter 11... Uh, of Matthew introduces or reintroduces John the Immerser, Yochanan, Hamadbil. Uh, uh, he was not a Baptist, um, even though that's what he's called, John the Baptist. Um, the reason why, the reason why, you listen, Messianics do this, and everybody thinks that we're just trying to be kind of funny with words. It's all about semantics, and really it's not. It's not about semantics. Why is it not about semantics? Because to undo wrong concepts sometimes requires us to use different language. That's what we do. We also understand very carefully that as a, as a ministry to greater Israel, we must also speak in a way that is not offensive. That's some of the reasons we, words we use because we don't want to offend. But more importantly, we need to undo our own biases. So sometimes it's good just to kind of shake up our thoughts. The words that we use, uh, they're foreign at first, but you become familiar. But when, you, when they become familiar to you, you've attached new concepts. It's an interesting thing. It's anybody that's ever learned a foreign language completely knows this. You actually attach new concepts to words. And that's what we're doing. We're trying to undo our own preconceptions. Hamatvil, the immerser. It's not a new thing, is it? Go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. How does someone immerse somebody? Anybody know? How does someone immerse somebody? Do you like hold them? And that's the way we see it often done, right? I don't know that there's I don't know there's a right or wrong way, but uh, don't ever get the idea that John the Baptist, John the Immerser, Yochanan Hamadiel, actually, you know did like we did because <laughs> it's foreign to the idea of immersion immersion is something that you do yourself uh, but it's under the auspices of a an attendant an attendant uh, anybody that's ever been to a a, 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 um, a mikvah can say there's an attendant the attendant is the immerser uh, but they don't actually touch you when they do it. Uh, John, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Yeshua finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Remember we talked about, this is where he sent, this is several weeks ago, he sent his disciples out, right? He sent his disciples out with a message, the good news, right? And the good news was? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And to preach in their cities. When John had heard in prison about the works of Messiah, he sent two of his disciples. Now John has been imprisoned, right? John has been imprisoned. He is, uh, he is, he, he very, only met Yeshua maybe briefly once, uh, maybe not ever again. Uh, so he's, he's heard about him. Um, and he said to him, 
are you the, the coming one or do we look for another how does he not know he heard a voice from heaven does a voice from heaven convince you of anything maybe what does the voice of heaven authoritative, authoritatively say that's right voices from heaven can be scary too Yeshua answered and said to them that's why we have the written word Yeshua answered and said to him go and tell the things which you hear and see the blind see and the lame walk the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them well, first of all, he names all these miracles. Remember we talked about earlier, the miracles are not proof of Messiah, but that's, what, that's the proof he offers John, isn't it? No. That's part of the proof he offers John. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 13, if you see a miracle worker, what are you supposed to, how are you supposed to test a miracle worker? Is he obedient to God or is he leading us astray? And what does he end up here? To have the gospel preached to them. What is the gospel? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, he's telling John, yes, I'm Messiah. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Uh, Yochanan is in prison. He hears this works and he asks again. He doesn't doubt that Yeshua is the Messiah. I, I don't believe at all that he's doubting. What he wants to know is, what's the, what's the hold up? I mean, you know, get with the plan. If you're Messiah, let's see it happen. I'm in prison. Right? I'm a prophet. Let's see, let's see it happen. Why is this important? Uh, and why does, why does Matthew want us to know about this? Uh, go to verse 4 through 6 now. Uh, excuse me. I already read the first two verses there. Uh, verse 6 again. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Yeshua began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Uh, I would never have thought of John as a reed shaken by the wind. Right? Would you have? Yeah, it's like, you know, he's the... He's the oak. Well, he's going to tell us that in a second. All right. um, Yeshua's answer to John's question is, the miracles, and I, I preach the gospel, the good news. Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 define, in your homework, define the good news. Did it not? What is it? Here's this good news. Salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. And it... it and, and their salvation is defined as first of all the dead will be raised the 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 lame uh, will walk the blind will see and and uh, what what we see in in Yeshua's answer here is this concept this interpretive concept called remez remez means uh, those of you who are 60s and earlier children a horse is a horse of course of course unless and and what is that what am I talking about a talking horse. Mr. Ed uh, and you immediately know everything about the story if you know anything about Mr. Ed the TV show uh, by me reminding you simply of that first little few lines of the song a horse is a horse of course of course unless you're Mr. Ed uh, so that's Ramez I just tell you a little bit and you get the whole package right all the way through the I've told you this before all the way through the apostolic scriptures a lot of people study and they go wow what is Paul trying to say here he quotes from one little verse from from Psalm 2 and uh, whoa there's all sorts of you know wonderful hidden meetings and he's jumping all over the place combining all these verses and what we've talked about is anytime they do that they're just giving you a scripture reference you need to read the whole thing don't stop reading 
that's the most unfortunate thing that they teach you in seminary is just read what they say you have to read the whole thing it's all context context is most important so what what Yeshua is doing he's saying go read this whole thing well John knows this whole thing what does he read? he reads the entire ministry of Messiah in, in Isaiah 35 and 61 and in the end what is he saying? go to Isaiah 35 3 this is so powerful it's like code I'm going to give you a little bit of Morse code I'll get you in a second give you a little bit of Morse code right? <laughs> it's not Morse code it's Bible code real Bible code Isaiah 35 3 35.3 says strengthen the weak hands make firm the feeble knees are you weak John? say to those who are fearful hearted be strong Chazak do not fear Altira behold your God will come with vengeance with recompense of God he will come and save you then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped and the lame shall leap like deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing for the waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water and the inhabitants of jackals where they lay there should be grass with reeds and rushes a highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness the unclean shall not pass over it but it shall be for others whoever walks the road although a fool shall not go astray wow is that cool you're, you're John you're in prison and you want to see this King Messiah take over reign in holiness and glory from Jerusalem and what do you hear you know, you, see, you hear these things that this, this, this teacher is not doing anything that you expected to do. What's the code that comes back, the message that comes back? This. Be strong. Don't fear. It's going to happen. Because the way has been prepared. I mean, this is so personal even. John, knowing his ministry, understands this concept of the way. What were you going to ask, Susie? Um, I'm way back up further up. That's okay. <laughs> he wants to know what the delay is about. So what is the d- delay about? That's a great question. These disciples didn't know all the way up until Luke chapter 24 what the delay was about. And when I did my homework, I, when we did that, um, my answer sort of to that question was, you know, Yochanan was getting ready to be cut off. That's right. And um, after Yeshua was later you know, cut off. It didn't work out as anybody thought it should, did it? In fact, from defeat we see victory, but just like when people leave before the game is over, that's exactly, well, this, there's no hope now, let's go home and beat the traffic. You know? Yeah. And that's exactly what, that's exactly what everybody did. The message to John is, don't go home now, Wait. There's something yet to come. Now, John dies, as we read later. John dies. Yeshua is killed. And if everybody stops the story then, then the book doesn't even get written, does it? And that's exactly why there is a book written, because it doesn't stop then. Uh, John does not... What's the delay? The delay is because we don't understand its purpose, what the purpose was. You should have said, we'll say later. He will. Uh, all these things have to happen. Isaiah 35, 3-8, here's the message to John. Kazak. 
And it's a very, very important. It's more than just be strong. You know, in our, in our thinking, it was like, come on, you know, buck up, you know, be strong. It's, it's not all that bad. You know, you can, you know, stiff up her lip. Uh, that's not what the word Kazakh means. In fact, the best usage of the word Kazakh is found in the first chapter of Joshua, where he's told to be strong. Why? Because he has just been given all the authority to, 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 uh, to lead Israel into the promised land, to take what has been promised, to deliver what God has promised. So he's telling them to be strong, and it is the saying that we, it's the, it's the word, Kazakh, Kazakh, Vini Kazakh. It's what we say when we finish each book, when we, do, when we do the Torah reading. Each book ends with Kazakh, Kazakh, Benit Kazakh. Be strong, be strong. May we all be strengthened. Why? God's word gives strength to do what he wants us to do. And that's what it means. To, be, to Kazakh, it means you can do this because I will strengthen you to do it. It's not simply do it in yourself. Uh, Altira. That reminds me of, of Abraham. That's right. Do not fear. Abraham, do not fear. Altira, do not fear. Uh, your God will come with vengeance, and he, come, he will come and he will save. And then he uses this very specific concept of a highway of holiness. And John, now John, knowing his ministry, understands this. This is personal. That's his, that's his ministry, to prepare a way. That's right. He's the forerunner. He knows, he may not know if, how this is all working out. One thing he does know is, I'm the forerunner. If he doesn't know all the specifics, he knows he's the forerunner. He knows this highway idea is a very important thing. Go to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. We spend a lot of time in Isaiah, don't we? Um, 61, I'm sorry, 61, verse 1. Thank you very much. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Good tidings, good news, that's the word gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Uh, Yeshua uses this uh, later on to talk about this uh, with his ministry. He, he actually reads from the Haftar from this. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, verse 2, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spring. The spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. Psalm chapter 1. They may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. How many songs have been written with those verses? To console those who mourn. To give beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. What's the context of this passage? Messiah's reign, the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance for our God. Beauty for ashes? Wait. Not yet. If you think you get beauty for ashes? Not yet. It's a promise, but not yet. This is something yet future. Something profoundly yet future. John can't hope to see this, but he's telling him, don't be afraid. Be strong. That's right. The day of vengeance. It's a day of judgment. It's not a day of joy for everyone, is it? What was he anointed to do? Here's the in the outline. I have these listed. Uh, you may get, you break them down differently, but preach the good news, which is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the brokenhearted. It's a primary message from the book of Isaiah, from chapter 40 on, and that is that God will comfort Israel. 
That's the primary message. Isaiah 53, found in the middle of it, is not a condemnation of Jewish people. It is a continuation of the message that God will comfort. How does that come out of Deuteronomy? Oh, curses for disobedience and blessings for obedience, right? That's what Deuteronomy... Bless, bless, obey God, you receive blessings. Disobey God, you receive curses. And I'll drive you to the furthest part of the earth. And then in Deuteronomy 30 it says, And there I will find you, and I will circumcise your hearts, and I will bring you back, every one of you, to the land that I promised your forefathers. This is the comfort of Jerusalem. The consolation of Jerusalem is, from Isaiah 40 on, we are reading the consolation of Jerusalem. So whenever you read about about comfort, right? Comfort. The idea of comfort is that God will fulfill His promises that He has made to His people in spite of their disobedience. Isn't that great? When I disobey Him, I can expect that He will still comfort me. He won't leave me. I run away and He won't let me go too far. Right? Isaiah 40, verse 3. Who are those who mourn? And it's not talking about mourning over their sin. They mourn for whatever reason. So it's mourning about... Not just their sin. Israel, but us also. Anything that you can, uh, you can talk about national Israel, unfortunately, has already been applied to individuals. What we need to do is begin to reverse it as well. It's not just individuals, it's national. Most people read these verses and take personal ownership of them. That's good. It's intentional. But understand, it's not just personal ownership. It applies to a people. And it is why we believe that it is Messiah that's grafted us into that people. Otherwise, we have no hope. This is a side point of that, but you brought it up. No, I bring a lot of things up. If you have been grafted in, yes, ma'am. You are part of the tree. If you have been grafted in, you are part of the tree. Therefore, are the promises of the land extended to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews? Are the promises of the land extended to the Gentiles as well as the Jews? That is a controversial question. No, actually, the question wasn't controversial. The answer would be controversial. In the Torah, it says, Those of you who attach yourself to an Israelite and you dwell in the land, you become an inheritor. So we're just like they are in the fact that if we're there, we get it. If we're not there, we don't get it. Those of you who don't know, this is my mother, and I guess that's where I got it from. (laughs) First of all, as a gear, a gear is a sojourner with Israel. I would say, I have no right to an inheritance. I have no people. Except, by the grace of God, have I been grafted in by the work of Messiah. I was without a hope. I was cut off from the commonwealth of Israel. I was cut off from the covenants of promise. I had no hope in this world or in this life. And yet, Yeshua... Draw me, drew me near and he took down the barrier that separated me from the very commonwealth of Israel and the promises of God this is, I'm quoting, I'm paraphrasing uh, Ephesians chapter 2 now I have been brought near I can go into the very presence of God it is a, actually it's a sacrificial term I can be brought near all the way to the altar I'm not kept out as a Gentile but rather I am a gear I am a sojourner I have one who has been granted access because I have become a descendant a son of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob not by the work of man 
John chapter 1, but by the work of God. So John chapter 3, when Yeshua says to Nicodemus, you can't have a part unless you're born again, and Nicodemus goes, what? I'm an Israelite. That's exactly the point. Everybody has to be grafted in, even Israelites. If they've been cut off. If they've been cut off, that's right. So, uh, the answer to your question, I suppose... um, I think you have to make your own conclusions. <laughs> that wasn't a cop-out. I pretty, I pretty much told you what I think. But uh, The reason it's controversial is because it has been claimed for 2,000 years, traditional Christianity has claimed the promises and inheritance of Israel and cut Israel off. That's the reason why it's controversial. It's also controversial because I have known... And I completely understand that, and I would not have any argument with anyone over that. And the reason why is because as, as a descendant of those who wrongly took those inheritance that were given by God away from the descendants, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I have no claim other than what God has given. And I'm content. And I think that's... Maybe it's an overreaction on my part. I don't know. But it it is something that I'm very sensitive to. Not claiming something that I cannot claim. Some think I do. Don't misunderstand. I, I I feel compelled to claim what I must. Uh, I am asked by some people who say, why would a Gentile, why would a Gentile wear tzitzit? And my response is, because in the very passage from Numbers chapter 15, where it commands tzitzit, it actually says there, there, was, there will be one command for both ger, in other words, those who are not native-born, and for native-born, Israelites. Uh, so the very passage actually conveys that it should be something for all, not just a Jewish thing. And it's almost a Jew that dwells in me that wears them. And that's, uh, that's great. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a great topic. Honestly, it's probably something that we need to maybe spend even much more time on because it, it's, it's not just controversial, it's also, it can be confusing and it can actually, it can actually pe- give people the wrong impression. Um, I am not Jewish. I don't say that with pride. I say that with clear identity. I am a gear. I am a sojourner. I have been attached to Israel by God's grace. And that's all. I just go back to the horticultural point of grafting. That's right. I'm part of the tree. That's right. Unfortunately, traditional Christianity has said, well, yes, Jew and Gentile are one in Messiah, so all the Jews become Christians. Or, no, no, actually, that actually would not be right in the correct understanding. What they say is, all the Jews have become Gentiles. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, that's No, both sides remain what they are. They're either Jews or Gentiles. They don't become something different. What becomes something, what they become is, they all become part of the household of God. Right.
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all of our forefathers. Go to Isaiah chapter... Now I'm going to see, I'm already going to get in trouble because I already... <laughs> Y'all don't repeat anything I say because I'm going to get in trouble for it. The voice of one crying. Isaiah 40 verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness saying, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What kind of highway? We read from Isaiah 35. A highway of holiness. A highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Go to Isaiah chapter 2 real quickly. Um, verse uh, Chapter 2 of Isaiah verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. All nations? That's not what Yeshua said to his disciples, is it? Many people shall come and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. There's only one place that is. It's called... It's it's called yeah it's called the uh, uh, the place right now right or the mount or uh, the threshing floor or the temple mount the, the the house of the God of Jacob he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths Haderic what I wrote on the uh, 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 the singular Hadera is the path. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Oh, that's from the, that's from the, uh, uh, the mall there, the, the park in front of the uh, United Nations, right? Actually, there's another place near it says they'll take all their, their plowshares and beat them into swords. <laughs> that's more like it. Yeah, the only way it comes is by God setting up his kingdom. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither does you learn neither there shall they learn war anymore. Uh, all nations gone to this way. Uh, Yeshua will obviously modify this not modify the command, but expand the command later on in, in Matthew chapter twenty eight. But what he said in chapter ten was what? Just go to just go to the lost sheep of Israel. That's it. No one else. Don't even include Samaritans. So this is something far more expansive than we see right now in Matthew chapter 11 that he's talking about. It's like the, it's like the little acorn. You know, the oak tree hasn't been even imagined yet. Right? So in Isaiah chapter 40, he talks about this way being prepared. He understands. He is the preparer of the way. Go to chapter 7 again of Matthew, or 11 again of Matthew, and let's read those verses again that I just read. Matthew 11, verse 7. Most people see uh, John as a tragic figure. And, and I suppose that he is in a way. But in the same way, Eliyahu is a tra- tragic figure. Uh, he's not really. If you think about it. What do you imagine Eliyahu? Where do you see Eliyahu? Elijah, where do you see him? On Mount Carmel. In your mind's eye, you see him on Mount Carmel calling down fire from heaven. The victory that's there. This is the same image that we're supposed to get with John. Okay, listen to listen to it though, because most people see this tragic figure and never never come further. As they departed, Yeshua began to say to the multitudes concerning John, "What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing 
are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of who it is written. Behold, I sent my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John, the baptizer, who, who, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How far am I going here? Uh, keep going. Uh, and the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent have taken it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if it were, if you were willing to receive, it is. It he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling their companions and saying, "We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and did you did not lament." Unfortunately, these passages, these verses, are lost to us unless we understand the language and the culture in which they were spoken. That's why most commentators completely cut these up into just like chainsaw I mean weird court sort of analogies theological positions that uh, they have no bearing at all on what is being said uh, first of all the read there's a there's a ancient there's an ancient parable about a reed that bends in the wind versus an oak tree that when the wind comes is uprooted or breaks John it's not about compromise John is the oak tree He's going to be cut off. Did you go out to see a reed that bends in the wind? What's a reed that bends in the wind? That's the stronger of the two, isn't it? The oak tree, we talk about a strength, but what is it? It's because it doesn't bend, it breaks. That's right. John didn't bend. Yeah, He was, he was going to be cut off. Uh, so, so, uh, and he talks about this idea that all of the all of the the Torah and the prophets prophesied up until John. Of course, immediately our antinomian friends will immediately say, "See, everything's done." Malachi. After that, all start over, clean slate. Nothing before that matters. Nice stories. That's about it. And in fact, it's the opposite. <laughs> It's the opposite. What he's saying is, the point of what everything was saying was pointing to what John's teaching. What is John teaching? He's preparing the way for Messiah. Well, haven't we already did, did that? We went, went, we went through all the Tanakh. What did we do? It was all about Messiah, right? It's the goal. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Paul says the goal of the law, the goal, the destination, was Messiah. And that's exactly what, what he's saying here in Matthew. And, it's, and John's purpose was to prepare the way for Messiah. Yes. I'm struggling with one thing. I think it's an easy question, though. <laughs> an easy question. I think it's okay. Simple. I'm just having a hard time with it. That um, that when he does, John Jesus answers John who's going to tell John these things. When he's referring to Matthew, I'm 61. I can't help but see that he doesn't say the part about the liberty to the captives and the opening of prisoners to prisoners that are bound. And it's like, it's like that would have been a great opportunity for another miracle, you know? I know. It does seem tragic. That it is tragic. But the tragedy is in that short-term view. So John would not take that personally? Like, oh, thanks, you're leaving out that part of the verse when I could have been... It's very possible. 
But remember, and this is a very important part, and maybe this is what you're asking. The very important part is that with Ramez, and you have you have to see it in other texts as well. The, the Apostolic Scriptures are full of it, where it's this it's this hinting. It's called a hinting, and and they're full of it. And when people don't understand, that's a common concept. It's a rabbinic concept, and the Talmud is full of it. They take one word and they draw chapters and they debate for pages on it and they're not debating on the meaning of the one word they're debating on on its application all of the scripture that that one word is making a reference to think about this way he couldn't say to John secret code Isaiah 61 (laughs) no one will understand except you and I well, because there were no references. How would it be chapter 61, verse 5? Well, there are no, verses, there's no chapters and there's no verses. So how did you refer to a passage? You referred to a passage. Well, when we read the partial, we refer to the passage as the first couple words. Right. So we say, okay, these words, and everybody goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know where that is. So they, that he does, he does quote some of it. Should, you should never view that he stops quoting as implying anything. And also just to remember that none of this is literal, really. It is literal. It is very literal. But the, what's the, what he's not telling John, and, and this maybe goes to your question, is he's not telling John you're going to get out of prison. Yeah. And so maybe he does stop there for that reason as well. Mm-hmm. But by the way, this doesn't apply to you. It's not going to happen for you. What's the ultimate outcome? See, this is, this is the point. This is, why, this is why John needs to be strong and to not be afraid. Because he's not going to see. Hebrews chapter 11, you know, all the people listed, they did not see. They did not see the outcome of this. Their hope was in something unseen. A city that had not yet been visible. John was not going to see this. And that's why, and I recognize John is a tragic figure. Because he doesn't see it. I think he got comforted by this. I think he did too. Because he said, oh, my life has been what it was supposed to be. This is what I was waiting for. Okay, I can do right. this. That's right. And so, so his answer is, it's from Messiah. His, his purpose, his purpose is fulfilled. And, and, the question he asked, he didn't say, are you going to save me? Of course he not. Said, well, are you the one or should I look for another? I agree. But see, most people think that the tragic figure is, hello, I'm dying in jail. <laughs> and that's the way most people read that. I mean, I understand that. I do understand it. I think it's very interesting when you get down to verse 14. It says, you can hear that he himself is Elijah who was to come. Yeah. He has ears to hear. Let him hear. Because I remember when I was 13, the first person who shared Jewish meeting about Messiah, when we were talking about John the Baptist or something, um, didn't explain to me that he... If you accept that the wise Elijah, because the way I was raised, I was told to expect Elijah before the Messiah came. That's right. And if someone had known to show that to me, then maybe my eyes might open. That's right. You know, and that's and that's one of the reasons why. I mean, it's not the only reason. I like tradition too. That's one of the reasons why we sing Eliyahu every Shabbat at the end of every Passover. Why? Because it is a truth. Let's go there. Malachi chapter 3. By the way, just so that you know this little, this little thing about uh, we played a flute and you did not dance, there's actually an, an old, old story 
Uh, it's interesting to me some of the best research on Yeshua has been done by, by, by people living in Israel, by, by Hebrew scholars living in Israel, because they don't have any preconceptions. They start, oh, go, yeah, yeah, we know that one. <laughs> you know, they read that, yeah, that, that relates very directly to another story from another text. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, so it's very interesting. There is actually a reference to it. Go to Malachi chapter 3, though. Don't have time to get into it. So go to Malachi chapter 3. Uh, go to Matthew and back up one. No, go forward. There you go. Go forward. Or backwards, depending on whether you're reading the Hebrew or not. Matthew, Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Haderic. And the Lord, whom you seek, will come, suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Uh, John didn't do this. Did he? Unless you start playing games with, you know, analogies and metaphors, you know, parables. No. Read scripture for what it says. That's why Yeshua said, if you can accept it. Because it doesn't fit. He's not the only Elijah, in other words. Uh, Keep reading, though. Chapter 4 of of, uh, Malachi. Go to chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the Torah of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Most people like to start reading with verse 5, and that's why I included verse 4. You can't cut part of the Bible out, unfortunately, according to some people. Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Uh, the great joyful day of the Lord has not happened no matter what Presbyterians say it has not happened (laughs) and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse those aren't the last words of of the Tanakh by the way that's just the last words in your English version Uh, but what is is it that he is promising he's promising that this forerunner from chapter 3 this forerunner is going to come before this great and dreadful day of the Lord and now Yeshua is saying he's like Elijah he's Elijah if you can accept it what will Elijah do he's going to first he's going to bring people back thank you time to wrap up he's going to bring people back repent for the kingdom of heaven is a hand He's going to bring people back to the law of Moses, what he says. He's going to, he's going to come before the great and dead day of the Lord. He's going to turn their hearts, repent, shuv. Turn the hearts, when it says, turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, shuv. Teshuva, repentance. It's all the same root. He's going to turn their hearts back. And, what are they, and, and what's, what's the outcome? Well, so you won't strike the earth with a curse. Um, John is one like Elijah, but John is not the last image that we see here. There is another like Elijah, or Elijah himself, who knows? Maybe. And that's usually what people do, is maybe the two witnesses from Revelation chapter 11, maybe one is Elijah. Elijah never tasted death, as, as most people consider. So as, as, as that, then, then maybe, it's, maybe it's Elijah. Maybe Elijah is one of those two witnesses. Regardless, 
this Elijah, or one like Elijah, will come again. And what will he do? He will preach a gospel. What will that gospel be? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let's talk about real quickly. We've got two minutes to talk about it. The yoke and ancient paths. Matthew chapter 11. Yeshua says, 11 verse 29. Yeshua says, Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. That does not mean that he's effeminate no matter what the pictures look like. (laughs) For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The term yoke is a term for applying the commandments of God. It's a rabbinic term. It's found in the Talmud as well. Every master, every teacher had a yoke. It was a teaching. It's the way that you apply this commandment. One commandment, one, one teacher says, you can't cook on Shabbat. And another teacher says, but you can warm things that are already cooked. Okay? Those two different halakhas, those two different walkings, are same application of the same commandment. It never says you may not cook. Right? What it does say is you shall not kindle a fire. Okay, so people make a halakha, a way of living that commandment out. So in the living out of that commandment, one is a, both are yokes, one is an easy yoke. Is it not? Okay, Halel, the great teacher in the first century, had easy yokes. Shammai, the one with the stick, he had a hard yoke. Yeshua says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. He has an easy way. What is his easy way? Is it an abandonment? Most people say, well, you abandon the commandments. No, that's, that's not a yoke. That's a commandment. <laughs> a yoke is the application of a commandment. How do you apply it? His, why? Because his primary purpose, and he says to his disciples, is that all of your walking out should be in love. Right? Should be walked out in love. What is this way that he talks about? Jeremiah 6, he says, learn from me. For my way is easy. This way is, Jeremiah 6, verse 16, walk in the ancient paths, you find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls walking in the ancient path. Haderic, the way. That's why the first disciples of Yeshua and Acts called themselves the way. Because it's the way. It's not a new thing. It's an ancient thing. In fact, it predates time. It's God's way. That's it. It's God's way. Yeshua said, walk in my paths. Paul uses this metaphor a lot. Walk as I walk. Imitate me. Walk obediently. Walking means living out what you know to be true, what the scripture says. We're going to have to stop with that. Uh, My question is, are you walking in the ancient paths? That doesn't mean, are you following all Jewish tradition? That's not what ancient paths are. The ancient paths are scripture, what God has said. Can you apply it traditionally? Of course you can. But the most important thing is, are you living obediently to God? Have you, in fact, taken his yoke upon to learn from him? Are you walking in his footsteps? Are you preparing the way for the return of King Messiah? Are you living the message like John and Elijah? Does your life shout out, repent, the kingdom of the king is coming? Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for this message. At times it is confusing to us because it has been, it has been added to by men so that it becomes uh, somewhat 
uh, of a burden for us to understand, to sort it out. What we ask you to do, Father, is show us in very clear terms, as you have, clearly what you, what you require of us. And Father, teach us how it is that you required of us so that we may bring glory to your name. So that people may know that we are the obedient disciples of Yeshua Messiah. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.